you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take those out and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, if you would. If you're new to the scriptures and don't know where that's at, if you have a Bible like mine, if you'll start to the back of Revelation, take a short turn to your left, and you'll be to 1 John uh, real quick, all right, because it's almost at the back of the scriptures. And as we uh, are in this series, Faith Is, I kind of wanted to state up front, our goal is really twofold. All right, first, we want individuals to wrestle with the reality of their lives to determine if they have genuine faith, all right, or not. You've you got to wrestle that. We want you to know, do you have a genuine faith? Do you not have a genuine faith? But then we want people, all right, of, of that genuine faith to live out that faith because the world needs people of genuine faith. You see, we have to wrestle with this question of faith because so many people claim uh, to have faith, but when you look at their lives, you're left to wonder, do they really? I mean, it's easy to claim something that but it doesn't really make it true. In fact, this morning, if I want to get, let me get really observed this morning, okay? And here's what I'll do. I, I this morning, could stand before you and say, I'm a car. But am I? No, I, I mean, I don't have four wheels and I don't have a motor, among other things, right? I, I could claim to be a car, but that doesn't make me a car, right? Now, you, you know that's absurd, right, for me to do that. But let's get a little bit more reality. I wonder if I did this. I wonder if I stood before you this morning and said, I am the next American Idol. What are y'all laughing for? All right. Now, the reality is this. I can claim that I'm the next American Idol, but that doesn't make me the next American Idol, right? Now, I can sing a little bit, but here's what I know. There's no way that I'm going to be the next American Idol because I wouldn't even probably make it through the audition round, right? But I could still claim I'm the next American Idol, but that doesn't make it real. Or, or maybe this morning I could do something like this. I could claim that I'm a professional basketball player. But am I? No, I'm not. Right? I'm a little short probably for that. Now, there might have been a day when I dreamed about that because I did play basketball. And what basketball player doesn't want to be a professional, right? So I might have dreamed about that. But just because I want to hear, say here and declare that I'm a professional basketball player, it's not going to make it real. Just having a claim does not make it so. Consequently, you can make a claim that you have faith, but do you really? Can you, without a doubt, say today you have faith and know that it's true? I want you to wrestle with that because I believe you can know. You can have confidence in your faith. In fact, today we're going to be in the book of 1 John, and we're going to look specifically at a part of chapter 4. However, if you read the entire letter of 1 John, you will see that John had a specific reason that he wrote. He wrote this letter, in essence, to help believers have confidence in their faith understand how they could know that they were truly believers. Now, I know this because John made it clear. Listen to what he wrote in 1 John 5. He said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. He said here that he wrote to people who would know that they would have eternal life, which is what the Scripture makes clear is a result of, of genuine faith. He didn't want people to doubt. He wanted people to know that they had faith. He wanted people to have confidence in their relationship with God and a surety of their eternal life. So if you read all of 1 John, you can get a good understanding of what genuine faith is. Now, since we don't have time to go through all of 1 John this morning, what we're going to do is concentrate on a part of chapter 4, which gives us a good look at a part of genuine faith, and it's going to remind us today of this, that faith is evidenced by love. In other words, genuine faith has a huge component that is love. 
So let's read through the passage, and then I'm going to come back and make some observations. So 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7, here's what he writes. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has, was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us. Uh, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I want to start today by reading the whole passage because the way that John writes, it's not like he writes in a linear fashion. It's not like we start reading and then he finishes one thought and then he moves on to another thought. It's almost for John a circular fashion in his writing. He definitely weaves his main points throughout his entire message. I mean, he makes a point and then he makes another point. Then he reiterates his first point and he continues to weave those thoughts together. He does this in part because he knows the points are really connected. It's not like you have one without the other. They go hand in hand. But as we start looking at what John wrote here, the first thing that I want you to notice is that genuine love is evidenced by experiencing God's love, all right? If you want to know faith is, you know, how do you know I have faith? Well, faith is experienced, all right, by, or is, is, is uh, evidenced by experiencing the love of God. Look again at verses 7 through 10. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, as we look at these verses, what is made clear is, a key to genuine faith is truly knowing that God is love. John even gets very specific when he says that if you do not love, then you do not know God. It's an impossibility to know God and not love. Why is that? Because God is love. If you were to try and describe love perfectly, are you aware of this? There's only one way to describe love perfectly. And you know how that is? You have to describe God. Now, if you're trying to describe God, here's something you know. Can you completely describe God today? No, it's an impossibility, all right? And so there's in a way, it's, it's hard to completely even express to you or describe to you what love is, right? But there is a way to know what the love of God is like and therefore to know that you know God. And what is that? Well, let's think about it, okay? If, you were to go, if I were to go parachuting, and I'm going to try to explain that to you, I could try to explain to you what parachuting is like. Could I not? 
Shake your head this way. I could. I could say, oh, man, when you're going up in that plane, it's exhilarating. Then when you're standing at the door, man, it's terrifying. Then we jump out, man, it's just exhilarating. I could try to explain that to you. But let me ask you, would you still know what parachuting is like? Would you know? No. How are you going to know what parachuting is like? you got to go parachute, right? Then you'll know what parachuting is like. And so today, it's likewise with the love of God. I mean, to fully know what it is, all right, and to explain to you the love of God, you have to experience it, all right? It's not like somebody can tell you this is what the love of God is like. I mean, I, I could look and I could tell you about my experience of knowing God and how I came to know the love of God. I, I can kind of try to explain to you a little bit, but you're truly not going to understand the love of God until you experience it personally. John even made something very clear here. To experience the love of God, we have to accept God's act of love, not to separate our acts of love. Sometimes here's what people want to do. They want to come and say, well, I love God. And by that they mean, well, I went to church and I helped someone in need. I cared for somebody who was an outcast. And so I, I, I love God and I know God's love. All right. In other words, they did something that they deemed an act of love. And because of that, they believe they have God's love in them. Folks, that is not necessarily the case. John made it clear that love is not seen truly in the fact that we have done something that we call love, but truly is seen in the fact that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And let me remind you that the word propitiation means sacrifice of atonement. Or more simply put, that Jesus died to pay the price for your sin so that you might be spared the consequences or so that the price of your sin would be paid in full so that you would no longer be responsible for paying the consequences. And experiencing God's love means this, you accept what Jesus did for you by faith. This should make sense to us because what does John three sixteen say? Many of you know it, right? What does it say? It says, for God so... Love the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What God did in sending his son was an outflow of his love. It relates to last week's message because it is God's love that initiated his mercy. Because God loves us, he pours out his mercy on us. And people who look at God and think that he is a hateful, vengeful God, they don't know God at all because he is just the opposite. He is a loving God. He even loves us despite the fact that we deserve His wrath. In fact, we need to remember here, Romans 5, 8, that God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we were in a place where we deserve God's wrath because of sin, God instead demonstrated His love by sending Jesus to die in our place. An amazing display of mercy and grace. An amazing display of love. What is key, though, is you need to experience this love. And you experience God's love by accepting it. It is not by your effort. It is not by your displays of love. You accept by faith what Jesus did for you. You place your faith in Jesus by going to God and saying, I know that I have sinned. I know that I deserve punishment. I know that you are my only hope. And I ask you, God, to forgive me. And I trust my life for you. I know that Jesus died in my place. And I trust that you have my best interest in mind. And I trust that if I follow you, you will provide what I need. And I trust that you, God, are the only thing that fully satisfies. And when you go to God in this way and you let him take control of your life, you experience what John described in verse 9 as living through him. When you truly experience God's love firsthand, there is a change that takes place. The one who is spiritually dead inside becomes alive and everything changes. And as I alluded to earlier, the reality is you cannot fully explain it until it happens. 
But if you experience the love of God, you know that something has changed on the inside. Here's what really has happened. When you fully experience God's love, His Spirit comes to dwell in you. As John said in verse 13, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And when the Spirit dwells in you, there is a reassurance of God's love for you. There is a conviction of the Spirit that guides you through every day. There is the Spirit speaking peace to you in the midst of the storm. There is the Spirit's voice to lead you into truth and so much more. And when you experience God's love firsthand and receive His Spirit, it's an amazing thing. Unfortunately for many Christians, they let the noise of the world dampen the Spirit's voice. But those with a genuine faith understand what it means to have the Spirit in them. And when you experience the Spirit of God for the first time, you cannot deny it. You might not be able to describe it, but you cannot deny it. Now, some may even look at me and say, well, well, Brother Scott, I hear what you're saying, but I, I need a less subjective measure of whether I have genuine faith or not. I mean, I understand what you say about the Spirit, but that's something in, internal, and I need something external, an external measure. Well, John, in essence, gives us this measure. He really goes on to say that though faith is evidenced by experiencing God's love, he also tells us that faith is then evidenced in showing God's love. You see, there's no doubt that when you experience the love of God personally, it is something that really only you and God know for sure. You know, I cannot look around the congregation this morning and point and, and look and say, oh, I, I see your heart. I, you belong to God. You belong to God. I, I can't do that because I can't look into your heart. And so this is what I know. Only you, all right, only you and God know whether you are really His, all right? Only God judges that heart. However, it, what is clear from Scripture is that there should be an outflowing of God's love in our lives, and it is a love that is shown to others. Look again at what John wrote in verses 11, 12. He said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. First here, John says it should make sense to us that if God loves us and lives in us, then we should love others. Does that, does that make sense? Yes? I mean, if God is the one in control, and He loves, and surely He wants His followers to love others. But John goes on to say loving others is more than just an expectation, but that loving others is actually the culmination of God's love for us. It, as it says here, that His love is perfected in us as we love others. God's love is really not complete in our lives until it is a love that is shown to others. In fact, John gets very specific in the importance of showing God's love to others when he says this in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, how important is our love for others? All right, if we don't love others, then we cannot say we love God. It is an impossibility. This isn't the first time in Scripture. In fact, we see this. In fact, in the Gospel of John, we see where the, we have the very words of Jesus himself, words that I have shared on various occasions because this is such a needed reminder in our world today. But Jesus said something very related when he said this in John 13. A new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my if you have love for one another. See, I really believe that these words are words we need now more than ever. In our time, and we have seen such hatred amongst races, 
hatred amongst those of different political affiliations, such hatred among fellow church members in the approach to the pandemic. And we see such hatred among so-called believers because of various opinions on matters. We have to ask ourselves, do we really know the love of God? Unfortunately, one thing that I believe is being revealed in our day and time through the various points of conflict is that there are many people who have claimed a love for God, but who really do not know the love of God at all. Now, I, I know I'm not, again, the one that determines who loves God and who does not love God, but what many are doing through their lives is showing that they really do not love God. Now, some might say, don't be so quick, Brother Scott, because the people that I have issues with, the people that I'm not loving, those things are people that I deserve to have issues with, are people that I deserve not to love, all right? That's what you're thinking, right? You're saying, but have we forgot what Jesus taught in Matthew 5 when he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, Jesus made it plain that, that, that the love of a person who truly has faith in God and is a child of God is a radical love. Hear me. It is a radical love that extends beyond those you see as fellow believers or people who view things the same as you do. God calls to those of faith is to love those who are hard to love, to love those who are very different than you, to love those that, might, that you might even consider unlovable. In fact, think about it this way, okay? How are people that we might even consider an enemy ever to come to know the love of God if believers don't love them and show them the love of God? They, they won't, will they? And, and, and for you to be unloving to any person, all right, it's a failure to love as God desires. Now, I know you don't like to hear that, do you? All right? But I want you to know that's not my opinion, that's God's. All right? That's what he says. And I'm going to state this, as I state this truth, I'm going to make a confession, okay? You hear me say that, you don't like that, right? But again, that's God's opinion, not mine, all right? So I'm going to make a confession. I know that there are some people that are very hard to love. Granted? I mean, I mean I'll take it a step further. I'm going to tell you, a confession as your preacher, there are some people right now in my life that I find it very hard to love right now, all right? It, it's hard for me to love them. I'm making that confession to you. So we're not alone. You're not alone. You're, there's somebody in your life. You say, well, Brother Scott, it's hard for me to love this person. I get it. I got those people in my life as well. But God didn't say, all right, we just love those that are easy to love. He says we love even those that are hard to love. It's kind of like I'm reminded what Jesus told his disciples in the garden when he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know in my life, here's the truth, and here's what I'm praying to God. I'm praying, God, here's what I'm saying. God, I know in my spirit, you want me to love everyone, and because of that, God, because you're living in me, I want to love everyone, but God, you know I'm finding it hard, so God, here's what I'm asking you to do. Bring my flesh in line with my spirit, because my flesh right now don't want to love some people. But God, I know that's not your heart, and that's not my spirit, all right? You see what I'm saying, all right? If you have the spirit of God, I'm, I'm going to make very plain, all right? If in your spirit today, you have peace about not loving certain people, then you need to go back and check your love for God. Because I don't believe as a believer you can ever find peace about not loving anyone, because that is not the heart of God, all right? Just think about it, if you get that way. If there's some people you say, I do not love... Let's consider what that failure to show love to anyone 
says. All right, first of all, you misrepresent God or you misrepresent the gospel if you fail to love. You misrepresent God because if you fail to love and claim to follow God, then you are declaring that God doesn't love everyone or that his love is conditional, and and that's just not right. In fact, I'll tell you, I am sickened when I see these self-righteous protests and people hold up signs that say God hates and you fill in the blank. Right? That sickens me, all right? Because no, God loves everyone and, and He is seeking to rescue people out of darkness. And people who display hatred in the name of God are misrepresenting God. But also, you're misrepresenting the gospel when you fail to love certain people because you're saying that not everyone can change and not everyone deserves God's forgiveness. You are saying that Jesus didn't die for all, yet the scripture makes it very plain that Jesus died for all and he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to salvation. So we must love even the ones that we might want to declare unlovable because our love declares to the world God's love and we need to demonstrate the the truth of God's love that it is for all who will receive it. Because remember in Romans 10, 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, before we leave this point, let's be clear. When it comes to loving others, that John made something else clear in the previous chapter here in 1 John. Look at what he said there in 1 John 3, 16 and following. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in word or not let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, showing God's love means proper action. Jesus didn't just say, Oh, I, I love us. No, he did much more. He demonstrated that by laying down his life for us. And we are called to do likewise for others. In other words, we cannot just say that we love other people with our words or talk. We also have to show it in deed and in truth. All right, and let me remind you, when John says truth here, truth is being this, the fact that you're doing your deeds with the right motives. That you're not just putting on a show, all right, but what you're doing is you're doing it with the right heart. Not just trying to look good for others. For example, it's not going out and helping someone, saying that you love them, and then after you get done helping them, you go talk to your friends bad about them. You know, Christians can be bad about that, right? I mean, they go out and they're, they're going down to the homeless shelter and they're loving on the homeless because, I mean, that's what God wants them to do. They're showing the love of God, right? And then they'll go, after they get done, and then they'll go talk about those at the homeless shelter. And I'm talking about it in a negative way. That, that's not truth, all right? That's not, that's not truth of love, all right? We have to do it with the right actions. And then God says, as you love them with the right heart, with the right motives, then you put that actions behind it. And it could be any number of things. It could be you going out and buying something for someone in need. It could be buying groceries to give them a meal. It could be helping somebody with a project, maybe like a neighbor who's working on something can use an extra hand. It could be fixing food for someone who's going through a tough time or calling to check on someone who is ill. Then loving others means this, that you forgive them when they hurt you. Even if you have to do that more than once, all right, you still continue to forgive. It's sometimes having the difficult conversation when they have done something wrong, but having the conversation to restore them, not to destroy them. Showing God's love has limitless possibilities, but showing God's love is to be in deed and truth and not just in words. As they say, talk is cheap, right? Now, so far this morning, we've seen that faith is evidenced by experiencing God's the love of God and by showing the love of God. But we need to see one other thing this morning, that faith is then evidenced by having confidence in the love of God. You know, so many people say they have faith but are living insecure lives, even insecure before God. But look at what John said in verses 17 and 18. 
He said, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I love these verses because they remind us that we can live in security with God. We can have confidence, it says, for the day of judgment. One who truly has experienced the love of God does not have to worry where he or she stands before God someday. In fact, if I were to ask you today, if I were to ask you, are you sure in your faith? And are you sure that you're going to heaven someday? Can you strongly answer yes? I hope you can. I mean, I hope you can. You can have confidence in the day of judgment because of the love of God. The love of God that you experience and then the love of God that you show. You know, when John declares you can have confidence, he wrote trying to help us understand that once you experience the love of God and then show the love of God, there is a confidence that flows from that. And think about this. When you fail to have security, you're either doubting one of two things. You're either doubting God or you're doubting yourself. All right. You remove those doubts first by remembering who God is. Because if you understand God, then you should have security, right? Would you agree? Let me give you an illustration, all right? Uh, Melissa, can you come? Stephen, would you come here a second? I I need you two down front, all right? Stephen's like, what's he going to make me do, right? Yeah, come on down. Let's assume something. Let's assume the church got concerned about my safety as your pastor, okay? And so what you're going to do is you're going to hire me a security guard. Because I need to be protected. Something's happened. So, Melissa and Stephen apply for the position. The church, the church hires Melissa. Are you real confident now in my security? No. <laughs> I'll talk to Aaron afterwards, okay? No, right? I mean, listen, she's shorter than I am, and I'm short, right? Now, by the way, she's okay with this, all right? I'm not putting her on. She knew I was doing this beforehand, all right? You're not real confident, though, as a church, right? But, but Stephen, come on over here. But, but let's say they hire Stephen to be my security guard. <laughs> you feeling a little better? A little better about this, right? A little, a little taller, all right? A little taller, a little stronger, right? You're feeling better because of the person. You have the security because, because of who this is I'm placing my faith in, Right? Y'all get that? Y'all, y'all with it? Okay, y'all be Thank you, all right? Say, say thank you, all right? So, so let's think about it, okay? I, I, I want security. Can I have security in God? Absolutely, think about it. I, I should be secure because, can I say this? God is big enough to handle you. And God is big enough to take care of your faith. If you're ever looking to yourself and wondering, well, I'm not so feel secure, I'm going to ask you, are you trusting your eternal security in a God who loves you and who cares for you? Because if you trust your security to Him, i got news for you, you are in good hands. And here's how I know it, because in Romans 8 it says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Think about this, folks. If you love the Lord, Jesus is interceding for you right now. Okay. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, look at this, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, right? Think about that. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so if you have truly, hear me, if you have truly experienced his love, you should have faith that it is secure because God is big enough to secure you. Your security ultimately is not based upon you. It's based upon God, and he's big enough, right? Now, however, I said, the other thing that makes us doubt is who? Myself, right? All right, and let's be honest. The doubt comes as much as anything because we don't show the love of God like we should. Right? So that begins to make me doubt. So can I ask you? I mean, we remove the first doubt by remembering God is big enough to handle us. How do I remove this doubt? Let me go ahead and tell you, ready? Just start loving people the way God wants you to. What's stopping you? Okay. What, what, what's stopping you? Because, again, when you put that with your love for God and your love for others, there's a great security that comes, and you can rest, all right, in the mercy of God, what he has done for you, and then you can give evidence of that faith by loving others with your life. And when those two come together, I'm here to tell you, there's a great security of saying, hey, I know I'm in God because I've experienced his love, and I'm showing his love, and so now I'm resting secure in his love. You get that? You see, as we close today, maybe you need to experience the love of God for the very first time. I want you to know that God is waiting for you to come and to confess your sin. He's waiting for you to come and invite him in to forgive you and take control of your life. And I, this morning, if you do that, I know today God will take you from death to life. He will give you his Holy Spirit as evidence of your faith in him. And so today, if you've never cried out to God's love, if you've never experienced it firsthand, that's where it starts with you. Come experience the love of God. Receive Jesus into your heart. He wants to save you. Give you his spirit, all right, and secure you in his love. Now, second, maybe today you're just having some of your doubts mostly because of your failure to love others. And so, as I said a while ago, why not today make today the day that you start loving others as you should? Maybe what you need to do is this morning you need to come to this altar and maybe you need to pray a prayer like me. God, help my flesh get to where my spirit is. Maybe there's somebody you're struggling to love, and you know that's causing you some issues today. Why not come and say, God, you know my heart. My heart is I want to love them. God, you know I'm struggling. And why not today begin to pray, Lord, help me to love them. And here's what I'll know, okay? Here's what I, if you'll pray that prayer, God will answer that prayer. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. You keep praying. Because maybe God's doing something. You're not, you keep praying. He'll eventually give you a heart to love them. And you come back even next week. Because next week, we're, I think it's next week, we're talking about forgiving, which will probably help you in that category, right? Take your head this way, right? But why not today just come and say, God, give me your love for others. And then help me, God, to leave this place, to go out and tangibly show your love as you desire. Because I know when you put your love, your firsthand experience of your love of God, and you're showing your love to others, you will gain a great security today. All right? Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, after opening up your word today.
We know now is the time that we have a choice. Father, we have the choice to respond to your word or we have the choice to ignore your word. And I pray, Father, today that we'll respond. And I have no doubt for all of us there's something here today, God, because there's some that need to come experience you for the first time. They need to come and and give their life to you. And so if that's some listening today, whether it's here or at home, I pray today would be the day they would cry out to you. Father, they would invite you in to forgive them. They would confess that they know that Jesus died for them and rose again. And Father, today that they would just simply give their life to you and knowing that if they'll reach out to you, that God, you today are ready to change them. You're ready to take them from death to life if they'll cry out to you. So I pray this would be a moment that some would do that, some would experience your love for the first time. But then for all of us, Father, I pray today that you would burden us, that we would show your love because that's what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, maybe this is a moment where some of us, we need to bring some people before you, God, because we're finding it hard to love them today. And we need you to change our flesh and help it to match our spirit. Or, Father, maybe some of us, we've just been complacent and we've not been loving others as you've called us. And so, Lord, help us to make that commitment to go out and love people with your love. So whatever the need, God, speak again to hearts during this time. Let your spirit truly have reign in this place. Because, Lord, I know today, again, if things are going to happen, it's going to be because your spirit moves. And so we ask you to move in this moment. So this invitation is yours, Father, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name.